Welcome to the Envision Together, Going to Our Next Level of Best podcast. I'm your host, Pamela Mishana. Join me on this bi-weekly journey of empowerment, where you'll hear hands-on advice from lifestyle experts, educators, authors, spiritual leaders, and many more who will share tips on how to triumph personally, professionally, and spiritually. We explore timely topics such as overcoming anxiety and fear, educating the reluctant student, cultivating lasting relationships, and strengthening our faith. My hope is that the insights offered on the show will help us envision ourselves using our unique gifts and talents on greater levels for greater purposes. Hello, everyone. It's me, Dr. Mashana, and I'm so excited to have the guest that I have with us today. Her name is Janice Goldmans. I am just really thrilled to see what she's going to share. She's going to help us understand about successful aging and even caregiver burnout and whatever else will come up in this conversation. So if you would, Janice, go ahead and tell us in your own way, any biographical information you'd like us to know. Sure. So my background is, as Pamela said, in gerontology, which is the study of aging. I started working with a geriatrician probably about 15 years ago in a different role. And I became very interested in what he was doing and went back to school and got a master's degree. But I think the most knowledge I've gotten is from being the adult child of aging parents and living through it and going through the paces, seeing what the challenges are, dealing with it, and you know, having to navigate that whole situation. Wonderful. So you have a wealth of information. You have the textbook knowledge, you have the real world knowledge in helping right. others, but then you have that real personal experience with your own parents. Wow. So we have a lot in that well to draw from. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and jump right in. Why don't you give us just a little backstory also, which is a little different from biographical information. Who are you? As it relates, as I said, to sort of what we're doing here is I am the daughter of, you know, aging parents. My mother passed away five years ago. She had COPD and dementia. So the two of them together were quite, quite a mix and a challenge. And my dad now is 92 and has dementia in a different way than my mom. And that I find really interesting is how both of them, it presents so differently and the outcome is different and the challenges are different. I am my father's main caregiver. He is living in a retirement residence and now I'm looking for other levels of care for him. My coming to a lot of this is from watching my grandmother, who when I think about how old she was when she was in a nursing home, she was in her late 60s, which is scary. Yeah. And um, I remember going in there and this place, everybody was lined up in their wheelchairs around the nurse's desk, you know, really doing nothing. And I remember thinking in my head, I don't want my parents to ever end up in this kind of a situation. But I never really did much with it until probably 15 years ago when I went back to school. So this has kind of been brewing in my mind to do something senior related, but 
it's later on in my in my life. To help my audience understand, because they're just going to get the audio version, you kind of stuck your tongue out and tilted your head, and you're saying they were sitting in wheelchairs or chairs like that uh, in the rest home. Uh, I just wanted to give everyone the visual of what you showed me. And, you know, while I was listening to you, just a question popped in my mind that I didn't plan to ask you, but would you say that things like dementia and Alzheimer's disease, is that hereditary mostly or so there are two forms really of alzheimer's and i'll do it from the alzheimer's perspective and then i'll explain the difference between dementia and alzheimer's in a minute but alzheimer's there's something called early onset alzheimer's Mm -hmm. and that's for it shows up in people in their late 40s 50s early 60s and that is heredity it, it is inherited that you have a 50% chance if your parent had early onset dementia that you will. It's something that people should know about so that they can be prepared and also to prepare their own children for those eventualities. What does it look like a little bit uh, for like if you're in your 40s or 50s? You know, that kind of thought that we have for older adults, oh, you know, misplacing keys, can't remember phone numbers, misses appointments, mm. um, all those things that look like memory loss. And then it kind of graduates to more overt outward behavior. You know, instead of putting your keys on the table, you put your keys in the freezer. You know, you, you forget to eat or you eat more than once because you forgot to eat. Um, and that's happening in people's 40s and 50s. Yes. And that is an inherited kind. So it looks like the the Alzheimer's in older adults, but it just shows up much, much younger. Mm. And as we were talking about heredity in older adults, the thing is, by the age of 85, 50% of people will have Alzheimer's. Mm. It's not inherited. The only way that I can describe it is something's going to get you. Nobody lives forever. Mm-hmm. And I actually have my own kind of theories about if if people don't have physical challenges, Alzheimer's kind of sneaks in to do something on the mental side. Wow. It's something that I've been looking at, figuring out if my theory is true, but I see it a lot. I see a lot of people who have Alzheimer's or other dementias who are physically quite fit. Mm-hmm. So it's like nature brings something in you know, in that time frame, 85, 90, whatever, to say, all right, well, we're going to do something here. That's interesting. So are you doing a type of study? I've had it in the back of my mind for a long, long time. And I keep saying I'm going to do something. And I've talked to some other people about it. I haven't moved forward with it because I've had a few other things going on. But every time it comes up, it's like, oh, you got to look into that. Because I also see a lot of people that have physical challenges that are mentally totally alert. So I kind of wonder, do we get one and not the other? It's not often that you see both like my mother had, but you don't see that often. That would be interesting to figure out. So if you ever do get that study done, email me and let me know. Yeah, well, I can relate to um, having these things that you want to get to and a little time passes by and you. You're not quite there yet. I want you to know I'm literally writing it down. Well, I think the conversation has been delightful so far and already so informative. Go ahead then and tell me a little bit more. What is the difference between Alzheimer's and disease and dementia? 
So if you think of dementia as the category fruit, Mm -hmm. and you think of Alzheimer's as an apple. So Alzheimer's is one kind of dementia, but there are various kinds. There's one called vascular, which is really caused more by lack of blood flow to the brain. Um, It also, you find that it comes a lot when people have strokes. Mm -hmm. So that's one different kind. There's another one called frontal temporal the memory loss or the brain damage, for lack of a better word, is more in the frontal parts of the brain, which is more about emotion and language and things like that. Not so much memory, but other things that play into it as well. Let me just ask you, frontal, was it frontal? frontal temporal. Temporal. So is that temporary memory loss? No, temporal is you have a temporal lobe in the front uh. of your brain. Okay. The frontal temporal lobe of your brain, as opposed to more generalized in the brain, which is more Alzheimer's, which the plaques are all over the brain. This is more concentrated in the beginning in the front. And that's also where good decision making is happening. Yes. Decision making, emotion, logic. Yeah. Okay. You know, you're sharing so much. All these questions are jumping in my head. So I interrupted you a bit, but if you would carry okay. on. And then there's one more called Lewy body dementia, which is literally things in the brain that are not the the tangles and plaques of Alzheimer's. It's something that is visible. So Alzheimer's is really a diagnosis of exclusion. When somebody starts to have memory loss, most doctors will start looking for the vascular, like, oh, is there a change in blood flow to the brain? No. Are these little bodies in the PET scans or um, CAT scans? No. Are you seeing certain kinds of behavior? No. Well, there's memory loss, so it's Alzheimer's. So everything else usually gets looked at, and then the diagnosis ends up being it's Alzheimer's because we we don't see any other cause. And Alzheimer's isn't seen when the patient is alive, when the person's alive. You can only see it after they've passed away. If they do an autopsy and you look at the brain, you see those tangles. Hmm. Okay. Thank you. That's a lot, but you've a lot. educated me quite a lot more about uh, those two diseases, if you will, but they're essentially related one and the same, but yeah. they show up differently. Right. So it's, you said like a fruit. Yeah. It's one kind. So dementia is like the big topic mm-hmm. and then dementia, uh, Alzheimer's is like one one of the the topic (laughs) okay like one aspect of it okay so how do I get my family slash siblings on board to help with parents so what I find happens is generally it's one child that notices there's something going on with the parents for whatever reason or at a holiday something comes up and you see wow you know mom and dad they, they look frailer, they don't look like they've eaten, or I've gone to their place and they haven't opened their mail or whatever it might be that triggers it. And you go to your siblings and you say, hey, this is what I noticed. And your siblings go, no, they're good. It's fine. Everything's good. And you feel like you're a lone wolf almost because you see things and then you notice and you're trying to bring this out to the family. And sometimes it's like, hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil. If you don't acknowledge it, it must not be there. You know, there are people who that's how they cope. Then you can also have where in a family, 
everybody knows there's something wrong, but mm-hmm. they have a different idea of what to do about it. Mm-hmm. You know, one child says, I think mom and dad should live with me. Another one says, no, no we're going to bring in a caregiver. Another one says, no, they should be going to a retirement residence. And everybody has their own reasons, their own background, their own knowledge. And my way to get people together is to literally sit in a room and put on a flip chart somehow or a board or something saying, what is our end goal? And the end goal is always for everybody. And when I say everybody, I mean the parents and the kids and the grandkids and everybody to have the highest quality of life. Because if you are spending your whole life taking care of your parent, that's going to affect your life, your relationships, your work situation, whatever. And that doesn't work. So it has to be something that is the highest quality of life for everybody. And that's the overarching goal. So if child one says, I think mom and dad should live with me, then write down what are the pros and cons of mom and dad living with you? For the next child, I think mom and dad should have a caregiver. What are the pros and cons? And do that along. And then everybody together Mm -hmm. look on paper, black and white, for your own family, and every family is different, every situation is different, what is going to work best for you in terms of cost and the amount of time people have to spend in doing caregiving if they want to. You may have one child that is really keen on providing one-on-one hands-on care and another one that says, you know, I would rather be responsible for the financial end of it to make sure bills get paid you know we make sure that appointments are set and kept mm-hmm. and that's all fine it doesn't have to look any particular way as long yeah. as everybody's happy with it and if somebody should decide at a certain point hey i need more help with hands on or i need help because i'm going on vacation with you know making sure bills are paid that everybody is okay chipping in right uh, to make the plan work right that's great So I've heard of just in my personal discussions with family, extended family, friends, people wondering, I wonder if my parent has dementia or Alzheimer's. And how do you know the difference from when you're worried? Maybe it's you being anxious about it. And not imposing that on your parent when it's not really happening. They're just having normal kind of memory loss. A few things to look at. So one is, as I was saying, there's a difference between misplacing your keys. They're in your purse. They're in your coat pocket. They're on the counter and you forgot where you put them. As opposed to putting them in the freezer. When it's that kind of behavior where it is just so not in the norm. That's one thing. Mm -hmm. Another thing is if your older adult goes to a movie and they don't remember everything in the movie, that's normal. But if they forget that they went to the movie, that's Mm -hmm. when it starts being problematic. Mm -hmm. When you see that they um, have appointments and they're missing them because they're not keeping track of of their activities. Mm -hmm. They have bills, as I said, bills that are unpaid because they're not keeping track of their financial well-being. If you go into their home and you look in the fridge and one of two things, there's like no food in there mm-hmm. or the food that's in there is spoiling because there's so much of it and they're not using it. One of the things that I say, especially at holiday time, is if you're going to your parents' home, 
a lot of times what happens is in the kitchen in the living room where you're spending time, everything is clean or or it looks normal. But go into their bedroom mm. because sometimes they don't take care of their bedroom to the same degree or the bathroom. And that's where you start to see little things. So it's these little kinds of things. What I suggest if people have any question, the Alzheimer's Society has tips to look for. There's 10 tips to look for. Before you know you approach your parents, have a look at those things. Mm-hmm. And the, the Alzheimer's Society is very helpful if you want to make those decisions, or if you find that your parent does have Alzheimer's, they have support groups and, and a lot of help and it's nationwide. What about something like they don't remember a conversation they had with you? Yeah. So if that happens on a regular basis, as I said, like with the movie, they forget that they went to the movie period, Mm -hmm. or they repeat the same thing over and over and over. Those are signs that they're trying to cue themselves. Mm -hmm to try and remember. And sometimes that's what people do in the beginning is that they'll repeat and repeat and repeat because they think if I keep saying it, it will stick and it doesn't. Okay. Thank you. I bet we're helping a lot of people out there, even just with the questions I'm asking you on the fly. (laughs) I hope. I mean, that's the idea, right? You decide what's the best living situation for your parent by going through that whole uh, scenario that you shared about the different options. What are the pros and cons? Yeah, there's a lot of um, material out there. I'm actually doing a presentation called Should I Stay or Should I Go? Mm-hmm. And it's about deciding, should I stay in my home to age or should I look at moving to a you know senior retirement residence, something like that, and how to make those decisions? Talk to me about how that can even affect someone who has dementia or Alzheimer's, because I heard once that If you move someone, say, out of their home, their new room should have some things that look familiar to them hanging up or things like that. So what's going on and how traumatic is that when things change for people who are? It it is actually, you've got a, a very good point there. It is traumatic when there's mass change for somebody that has I'll say moderate Alzheimer's. Mild Alzheimer's, I think people are more still adaptable, mm-hmm. but people get used to a routine. So they come home to their room, which is, you know, the green bedspread. Well, that green bedspread is an anchor for them. Mm-hmm. So there are things, as you said, that if you move someone, you want to make sure those anchors are there. So that's important when you look for somewhere to move your aging parent to make sure that you can have those anchors there Mm -hmm. and that they become used to it. Not to say that you can't move someone you can, and you have to look, as I said, at the bigger picture. If you leave someone in their home, but they're isolated, is that the best situation as opposed to being somewhere where they're with other people, there's programming, there's oversight um, in terms of health issues. You have to look at the best case scenario. And there's going to be certain things that you're going to give up to get other things. Okay, great. So I know that on your profile, you talk about things like how does one advocate for their parent? Before talking about how to advocate for your parent, can you just bring up some of the reasons you might have to advocate for them? Oh, yes. (laughs) So... The biggest thing really is something called ageism. 
And it's everywhere. It is everywhere. If you watch movies, you will see that there's very few older women in, you know, key roles. You'll see older men, but you don't see older women because we are a very youth oriented society. There's all of these youth products, look younger, be younger, have no wrinkles, because being older, that's not what people want. Where I would say in certain communities, they literally go to their elders because they are seen as the wise people. We've really gotten away from that as a society, which is quite a shame because there's so much knowledge there that could be drawn on. So that's one of the things. You know, you Do can you go to a health that professional. The Western culture. Yes. Yes. Okay. Because I think other cultures, like as I said, they look at their elders differently. They still revere them. They still want to have them in their home and take care of them and have those multi-generational homes where, you know, you've got grandchildren, children, grandparents, may even great-grandchildren, depending on, on where you are, or they live very close proximity to each other. There's the Scandinavian countries where in a senior residence, they have a child daycare so that they purposefully have in the same building many generations even though they don't live together yeah. they interact and 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 it's it's amazing it's a, it's a wonderful situation but that's part of it the other thing is you go to a health professional and you have an aging parent the doctor will talk to the person with that parent mm-hmm. not to the parent it's like in some cases it's like they're invisible mm-hmm. and it's a challenge because even somebody that has dementia you need to speak to them and ask them, how are you doing? One of the things that the doctor that I used to work with used to talk a lot about is not your diseases, but your diseases. Mm. Your diseases. What is it like to live with the disease? Mm-hmm. You know, people in the beginning stages of dementia, they know they don't know. And that's a big frustration. And nobody really addresses some of those frustrations Mm -hmm. of the people living with their diseases Mm -hmm. or somebody that has arthritis and can't now open a jar because their hand won't do it. Their lack of independence or that waning of independence. There's all of these diseases that happen when people get older that are not addressed. So just what happens is that we don't acknowledge some of the things that happen as we age. We just look at the disease, but not how that disease affects our life. Yeah, I think you're pointing out some good stuff. And I, I think that's a wise doctor that would talk directly to the patient. Their yes. caregiver might be there to help clarify, but it's still showing a or certain degree of respect and honor that yes. that person is there and they have something to contribute as well. And it might yes. ease some of their frustrations of not being at an appointment and no one's really talking to you about you. (laughs) I have a question. What does it look like when someone may be experiencing these things, but they themselves are in a type of denial? Do you encounter that? Oh, yes. You have to think as a parent, you have spent your life caring for your children. And to think about, I'll say, a role reversal. Mm-hmm. can be very challenging. If you think that now I have to depend on my kids to take care of me, mm-hmm. it's literally going backwards. And as I said, for that loss of independence, nobody wants 
wants to think about losing their independence and then having to depend, especially on your children. If you think about some of the things that might need to be done, helping your parent dress, helping your parent go to the bathroom. It's a very difficult thing to take on as as an older adult that now your child is taking care of you in that way, that Mm -hmm. that's you know, what is necessary. And the other thing, like I said, that hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil, doesn't just apply to the kids. It applies to the parents. What do you mean I can't take care of myself? I'm perfectly fine. But then you say, hey, look, you were driving and you hit a pole Mm -hmm. more than once. You know, you've had small accidents, you've missed appointments. What I say in these situations, sometimes it's better almost to have a a neutral third party Mm. get involved. So when it comes to taking away the keys, sometimes having a doctor say, you can't drive anymore. Mm-hmm. And then that, that person can be angry at the doctor, but that's okay. That's all right. Let them be angry at the doctor It's and still maintain a relationship with the kids. Even though the kids are saying to the doctor, my mom or dad should not be driving because this and this is happening. Right. So sometimes having a third party, because also that a professional and I'm kind of doing it in quotes, that professional has more impact Mm -hmm. than your kids saying, I see something going on. I see. Wow. That makes a lot of sense. I'm glad you expounded and elaborated on that because I think you're helping us all on both sides of it. It's funny because in this conversation, I don't know if I mentioned to you, I'm also an author and never thought about writing this kind of book, but when I listen to you and I think about all the different situations that I know out there, whether it's myself or friends or, you know, just the community, different people wrestling with the issue of how to be respectful with an aging parent. I think I was thinking about, you know, maybe I should write a book called The Circle of Life or something because we don't do enough to prep ourselves for this. like. I think from childhood, we should be discussing this circle of life. And then maybe even when you get there as an older person yourself that may need care, you've already had a lifetime of understanding that this is full circle. I'm going to come from needing my parents to help me dress to potentially my children helping me to dress. And it's okay. Right. Maybe. And and I think that you bring up. a really good point in having periodic discussions. One of the things that I really tell people to think about is having a file ready with the name of your lawyer, the name of the accountant, your bank accounts, any investments you have, wills you have, powers of attorney, anything like that that you would have that if a situation should arise where it was needed, It's all in one place. Somebody knows where it is. They can just grab it and go. Because what you don't want to have, they say your parent needs to go on a ventilator. And your questions are, well, will they get off? You know, what would happen? And you need to know what would your parent want in that situation? Would they want to be on a ventilator? Would they not want to be on a ventilator? Uh, Would they want resuscitation, you know, a DNR? Would they not want? Would they want hydration if a certain thing happened or they wouldn't want it? 
And what you don't want to have to do is try and guess. So mm-hmm. if you do it when, you know, your parents are relatively young and healthy, you've got it all. And so you just pull that piece of paper out and you say, this is their living will. This is what they would want. You don't decide for them. You don't have to go, well, I think mom and dad want this. Well, I think they want this. You have it in black and white with their mm-hmm. signature. It takes a lot of the pressure off of the family in those really emotional, tense moments. I think you're 100% right. These are conversations have throughout your life, but we're not taught to do it. There's nobody in school that's going to say, go home and talk to your parents about what they would want to do if something should happen. But doctors don't do it either. And I think that that's part of the problem is that elder care in our medical system, there's a lot of gaps. And so part of what I want to be able to do is stuff like this, to go out and say, have these conversations. They're not easy, but they're necessary. Mm -hmm. And it will make it so much easier when the challenges crop up, because you'll have an idea. You'll, You'll be on the same page. Be proactive and not have to be reactive. That's, I guess, a big deal for me. Yeah. Wow, this is powerful work that you do. And you know, while I was listening to you, it made me think of a friend of mine. Her mother got COVID and she reached a point where she was so badly affected that it seemed like the doctor had just given up hope. Well, she's just going to pass. This elderly woman didn't have a daughter like she has who really advocated for her and who had connections, I have to say. She knew people in the medical field who could make phone calls and get people's attention. And do you know the outcome is her mother survived? She's doing well. And if she had listened to the doctor, that was like, nothing more we can do for her. And there were things that they would have done for a young person but he was saying, we're not going to do it for her. And she was like, oh, no, 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 no. It's just very interesting. You're also making me think like a person such as myself. My only sibling passed away some years ago. So it's kind of like I'm an only child in making these decisions as my mom gets older. And it would be a relief to me to know what she wants rather than the right. pressure of me trying to guess what she wants and hope I'm making the right decision. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that's right. And you know, you were saying earlier about why do we need to advocate for older adults? And this is it, exactly what you were saying. Your story is exactly on the nose, is that that ageism kicks in and people think, well, you know, they were 85, they've lived their life. What's the big deal? Yeah, there is a big deal. And in care situations, especially, you have to watch what goes on when your loved one is in a hospital, when your loved one is in long term care, when your loved one even in a senior residence, or at home, you have to have eyes on on them. And it doesn't necessarily have to be your eyes. You just have to have somebody is watching out for their best interest and piping up when they see something less than optimal and saying exactly as your friend did, no, I want my parent to get this kind of care or no, you can't leave my parent that has dementia 
you know, alone in a room for hours doing nothing right. or whatever. Now, your friend had resources. And I think that that is also the big dividing line is economics and resources. Mm-hmm. Because the truth is, if you don't have access to resources or you don't have the financial wherewithal, you are not going to get the same level of care as somebody who does. And it is an unfortunate reality. It is. And sometimes you have to pull on other people. You have to pull people in that are not your immediate family. Maybe it's cousins, aunts, friends, whatever, to fill in those gaps if that's a necessary thing. Look at every government offering and service and take advantage of it. That's why they're there. And I think that that's another thing, too, is that we're not always aware that there are help. There's grants and and services and things like that, that might be helpful in a lot of situations. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I know that our topic today is on aging, people who are aging, aging parents. Everything you said is wonderful for us to apply that topic. But I got to tell you, as I mentioned to you, my brother passed away many years ago and he was in his 40s. And even then, you have to look out for your people who are in a somewhat helpless situation, have eyes out and do a good job advocating for them, no matter what age they are, but especially the young and especially the elderly, when there's a a different kind of disadvantage for being able to advocate for yourself. Mm -hmm. And and I agree. And I think that with COVID and many other things, this need for, I'm going to use the word compassion and empathy mm-hmm. is more upfront. It's to really be okay to say to somebody, I think you need help. I think you're struggling. Can I help you? I see you. You know, yeah. you are not alone. You are not invisible. I see you. And I think for some people, that reaching out alone can make a massive difference because when you think that you are all alone. And I don't care if you're 10 or 30 or 90. It's hard to try and manage everything on your own. Mm-hmm. So I think you're right. Is that that compassion and empathy for everybody? If you see somebody that needs help and you can help them or you can direct them to help. So. I'm sure you touched on it earlier, but just listening to you, I feel like I hear your heart. I hear that your work stems from your experience and and potentially your your even personal experience with your parents. So will you dig deep and tell us something about how your personal experiences have given shape to the passion and the sense of purpose that you have and what you do, the heart that you have and what you do? I, I will. You know, you were talking about advocating and all of that. Well, I had a child that was disabled and was told that she would not survive past a year old. Mm. And she survived to almost 11. And I think that's where my advocacy came from, was exactly what you had said in the other story, is that they said to me, well, you know, your child's not going to survive, just like, not forget about her, but, you know, institutionalize her. And you have to realize this is many years ago, institutionalize her and just let her go. And I just said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to give her whatever it is I can do. 
And I fought for services and I fought for schooling and I fought for a lot of things for her, you know, listening to doctors tell me, well, if she was a normal child, we would do this, but because she's not normal and I'm like, I don't care. You're going to give her everything that she could possibly have to live again, a high quality life. So how do they not know that that kind of language would just burn you up, ignite a fire? Yeah, that's that's a question. And, and but it is again, there's gaps in medical training mm. in terms of compassion and empathy. Mm-hmm. Be- and I understand that on a certain level in, is that if you get emotionally attached to every patient you have and they have, you know, sad outcomes, you're carrying that burden of their of their situation. And I get it that you have to have some distance. On the other hand, in every situation for children, for for adults, for older adults, you still have to realize those diseases, those outcomes of whatever it is that's going on that affects that family. Just because you walk out the door, it's behind you, but it's not behind that family. I was just talking to somebody literally this week, her mother had cancer and the doctor was very uncomfortable talking to the family, just kind of came in and said, your mother has cancer and literally walked back out the door Wow! and left them kind of reeling. But there's a lot that can be done. I do have hope that the more things are exposed, the more people realize the outcome of some of these ways of being and talking will change. The other thing is, you know, we're in the the baby boomers are getting older. You're going to have a lot more seniors in the next 5, 10, 15 years. As a society, we're going to have to figure out how to deal with them because mm-hmm. they will be the majority mm-hmm. and will not allow themselves to be marginalized. Mm-hmm. Those hippies from the 60s, <laughs> who said, you know, don't trust anyone over 30 are now going to be dependent on all of those people. And we need to step up as a society and take care of them. (laughs) That's one way to look at it, huh? (laughs) Yeah, it's true. The hippies are going to be seniors. (laughs) Yeah, it's scary. Well, this has been great. Which final gem would you leave with my audience, my guests, to help them get to their next level of best regarding the topic that we have discussed today. Uh, If they forget most of what we said, say, no, people, but hold on to this. What would that be? Really what it is, is come together as a family and look at how everybody, and I mean everybody, can have the highest quality of life. Mm. Create memories. Mm. Even for someone that has dementia, if they don't remember you will take pictures, write things down, take videos, keep those memories somehow, even if it's not for the older adult, for you to have. When these holidays come up and you have the opportunity to have your children, you know, visit their grandparents, take lots of pictures, mm-hmm. lots, encourage them to ask for stories. What was Christmas like when you were little yeah. or your holidays when you were little? Those memories are, you can't buy them. Wow, that's such great advice. Thank you. And now, how can my guests contact you, stay in touch with you, 
If you have books, get your books. Anything you want to share right now, go ahead and, and do that. Sure. So I have a couple of ways you can contact me. One is I have a Facebook page that is called Talk About Aging, which is my company. You can always contact me there. I have another page for um, the children of aging parents called Aging Parents. Pretty easy and simple. <laughs> you can get me there. You can email me at Janice at talkaboutaging.com. And you can go to my website. But I think the best thing is just email me at Janice at talkaboutaging.com. And I'm happy to give tips and tools. I have all kinds of resources if you're interested. Uh, like we were talking about the 10 warning signs for Alzheimer's, whatever, having a family discussion. I've got all kinds of great information. Wonderful. And I got to tell you, it's been a complete honor to have you on my show as a guest. And you have added value to my own life. So I'm glad. Yeah. If I can change one person's life and one older adult's life, then, you know, everything that I do and say is worthwhile. That's great. So what I was going to say is since you've added value to my life, I'm sure <laughs> that you've said things that my audience will be able to grab hold of too. They know how to get in touch with you. We are also going to share that information in the show notes. Again, my absolute pleasure. I'm humbled that you showed interest in being on my show and thanks so much. Thank you. Well, friends, thanks for joining me for another episode of the Envision Together going to our next level of best podcast. I hope today's topic inspired you to envision a brighter future getting to your next level of best and to urge others to reach theirs as well. If you are encouraged by today's episode, Subscribe and share it with your family and friends. Also, please write a review. It will help me to reach a wider audience with a message of hope and inspiration. Don't forget to follow me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and share your thoughts about today's episode. Until next time, envision the future you want to see.